0: Um, so I don't know if you guys caught on what we're doing here. Last month, Midtown uh, talked about this divorce between um, discipleship and mission. And we can't lose mission in discipleship. And I think what we wanted to do uh, this month is we don't want to s- divorce the word from the spirit. All right. And so we had Jason get up here. He grew up in a spirit church. And he's been on this journey toward uh, growing in a love and passion for God's word. All right, my, my experience is the opposite. All right, I grew up in a word church, and I'm growing. I'm on this journey to a love and passion for the Spirit of God. All right, um, and so here here's my my story. Uh, I grew up. I went to Awana. Anybody go to Awana? It's like a Bible memory club. Yeah, for kids. Uh, I think I memorized by the end of eighth grade, uh, somewhere over a thousand verses of the Bible. All right? I'm not boasting my folks made me go there um, and do it, but I did. And so memorizing God's Word and learning it was at the core of my childhood. Um, and I thought I knew God's Word pretty well, but I look back on that, and one thing I notice is I don't have any recollection of learning about the Holy Spirit at all other than I knew He was part of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and that was it. I didn't know anything else, and it left this gap. For me, between what my head knew and what my heart began to experience in life. And so I'll give you an example. Um, When I was in eighth grade, I had a polyp in my nose. It's like a tumor that grows in a cavity instead of a tissue. We get real at CB, okay? Matt lost his pants. I had a polyp. All right, And this thing grew so big that it partially blocked air passage in the left side of my nose and completely through the right side of my nose. Needless to say, this caused me problems, All right, and I had to get it surgically removed. And when I got it removed, um, I lost my sense of smell. Okay, This was such an obscure um, side effect that the doctors didn't even say that was possible. So in eighth grade, I lost my sense of smell. Not that big of a deal. If you got to lose a sense, most people are going to pick smell. And if you gotta pick a time to lose your sense of smell, you're gonna pick eighth grade, those BO saturated (laughs) puberty years, right? So I was saved from all that, and I praise God that I lost my sense of smell that time. So fast forward six years, all right? I'm a sophomore in college at the end of my first semester. And I'm, I'm just in a dry season. You ever been there where you're reading God's word and you're like, I'm not getting anything out of this. And I'm trying to pray, but it feels like my voice is just fading into the air in front of me. I just was dry and I was a word guy. And so I just decided, you know what, I'm going to keep praying. But all I could pray was this simple prayer. I pray, God, reveal yourself to me because I need to know you're real. God, help me seek you because I'm not doing a good job on my own. Those two sentences were all I prayed for probably three weeks. And, uh, and then finals week came, and kind of odd thing happened. I uh, heard about fasting. Um, I'd never fasted, but uh, there were some guys I knew that said that they really loved connecting with God through fasting, and so I thought, well, it's finals week; I'll just fast through finals. Um, so Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday I had finals, and I decided to do that. And so Monday was all right. I'm a little guy; I didn't eat very much. Um, but Tuesday by dinner, I was hungry—like the first time in my life I'd ever experienced the pain of hunger. And I'm not saying it was that bad. You know, there's people got it worse, but. First time in my life, I experienced the pain of hunger. And I'm sitting there at dinner time, my roommate studying for finals and just snacking. And I couldn't handle it. I had to get out of there, but I had no place to go. So I decided to take a shower. Um, so I went, there are community showers, right? And I turned all five shower heads on, made the steam room. And my physical hunger is supposed to remind me of my hunger for God. And it was doing that. And so in the middle of the shower, um, in the middle of the fast, I started praying. I just prayed my prayer God. Help me seek you, because I'm not doing a good job on my own. Reveal yourself to me, because I need to know you're real. I want to know you're real. And in that moment, in the middle of a fast, and in the middle of a prayer, it happened. I started smelling apples, like like I was transported to an apple orchard, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. I'm like looking around. uh, Did somebody come in here? What's going on? And I catch a glimpse of my shampoo bottle, and it's green. It's got a picture of an apple on it. Now, in six years, I'd never smelled my shampoo. I didn't know what I smelled like. I just picked it out by color because I couldn't smell anything, right? (laughs) And so six years into this thing, in the middle of a fast, in the middle of a prayer, my sense of smell was restored. And people ask me, how do you explain that? And I want to tell you, I can't explain it by the steam in the shower, because I'd showered at least a dozen times since I lost my sense of smell, right? <laughs> and it got steamy. And I can't explain it because I wasn't sitting down reading my Bible trying to get a better theology of healing. So it wasn't my understanding that, that made that happen. I didn't ask somebody to lay their hands on me and heal me. I couldn't say they did that. I wasn't even asking God to heal me in that prayer. Do you, know, do you see that? I, all I can think, the only way that I can explain that is God answered my prayer. I asked God, would you reveal yourself to me? I need to know that you're real. And what he did as a response to that fast and that prayer was say, okay, I'm going to restore your sense of smell. And when I do that, it, it's something in that penetrated through all of my questions and doubts and wondering and wandering. And when he restored my sense of smell, he restored my sense of belief. I want to say I'm a word guy. All right. And I got healed miraculously in the middle of a fast, in the middle of a prayer, in the middle of a shower. All right. And after that, I just couldn't escape the spirit starting to do stuff in my life. I got healed again. I won't tell that story. People started prophesying over me like in the middle of a crowd. And I'm thinking this is super weird, but I always walked away encouraged. And so for years, I just thought, I I have this gap. God, I know your word, but I don't know what to do with this. And so I've started digging. And I'm no expert, but I just want to share with you briefly three things that I'm learning about a spirit-empowered life. Okay, Uh, here we go. I know I'm going long. You can, a spirit-empowered life means there's power in the Holy Spirit. I want you to know this. You can know power. You can know it. Paul said this, for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. He said when there were false teachers in the church at Corinth, and he was going to go visit them, he didn't just want to hear their talk. He wanted to find out if there was power in what they were saying. Why did he want to do that? I think it's because we know from his writings and from Luke's account of his life in the book of Acts that he had found power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? It restored his sense of sight. It had loosened his chains and opened the bars and set him free from prison. It had healed people around him. It had raised people from the dead. It had saved him from beatings and shipwrecks. There was power in the kingdom of God. And he said, I just want to know, the kingdom of God does not consist in talk. I don't want to just hear about it. I don't want to just think about it. I want to know, is there power there? When he prayed for the church in Philippi, uh, Philippians 3, verses 8 through 10. Notice, the guy who grew up in the spirit church did not have Bible on the slides. But the guy who grew up in the word church, we got this here, okay? Uh, Philippians chapter 3. He said this, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Why? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Why would somebody suffer the loss of all things? Paul was at the top of his game, at the top of his field, and he gave it all up. He had it made. This would be like Chris giving up his golf cart and having to slum it walking on the sidewalks like the other 99%. Why would somebody do that? (laughs) Paul gave up everything so that he could know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. And we don't know what he was thinking, but I think it was maybe something like this. I want to know the power that prevented the decay of Jesus' body while it lay in the grave for three days. I want to know the power that can restore life to a dead heart inside a dead corpse. I want to know the power that conquers the grave and gives us life beyond our last breath. I want to know the power that took that man Jesus that I knew died and raised him again and made him appear to me a glorious light so that it blinded me. I want to know the power of Jesus in his resurrection. Paul lost all things so that he could know it. And I want to say you can know it too. We can know the power of God in our lives. Okay, you can know it. Um, I would ask you, do you really want to know it? Do do you want to know it? And I'll just say this, all right? I think a lot of us say yes because we're Christians and we know that's the answer we should say. But in our hearts, there's a no. There's a hesitation or a reservation. And I just want to say, be honest about that and, and press in, okay? Let's ask the Spirit, would you turn our no to a yes? Would you open us up to know the power of Jesus in his resurrection? All right, I'm going to end. I got two more. I'll go real quick. The power is in you, it's in you. Uh, when he prayed for the church uh, in Ephesus, Paul prayed to God that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit. Where? In your inner being. right, he ended his prayer like this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, we know this part, right? According to the power that is at work, where? Within us. Paul's saying that there's power in your inner being. That God can do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power that he's working within us. And so I just want to say, do you know that power? We know the far more abundantly than we ask or think. And I want to say, do you believe that? Do you believe that God could do far more abundantly than we ask or think by the power working inside you? At City Light, in our churches, every week we've got over 3,000 people worshiping. This is incredible. God's done far more than most any of us would have asked or thought in the beginning. And yet, I just want to say, as I read the Bible, I see days where 5,000 were saved in a morning. Right? Right? What do you dream? We're like two-thirds of the way there. It's taken five years. Now, I don't want to make light of what God is doing or what he's done, right? But he can do far more abundantly than we could ask or imagine. How's he going to do that? The power at work within you, it's in you. Man, would we be a people that we don't limit our prayers. We make our prayers as extravagant as the God to whom we send them, all right? Um, Okay, lastly, power is made perfect in weakness. All right, now I don't know about you. Sometimes I feel weak. I get exhausted. I get stressed out. I feel like maybe I'm not strong enough or capable enough to do the job that God's called me to. Man, sometimes I feel short and weak and slow. My vertical's not good. My 40 time's not good. I feel almost as weak as the Husker defense was this last year. feel weak this is if you do paul talks right to us and basically says you're right all right in second corinthians chapter 4 but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to god not us all right again in second corinthians chapter 12 but he said to me my grace is sufficient for you this is after paul's praying take the thorn from my side god i can't bear it My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul responds, therefore, I'm going to boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. All right, this is a reminder. Power is made perfect in weakness. This is a reminder that the spirit-empowered life is not one without hardship or struggle or trial. Okay. I am not saying that we preach a prosperity gospel where once you get saved everything gets right. All right? This is a reminder, God's power is made perfect in our weakness. That means the spirit empowers us in all of our struggles and trials and conflicts and fundraising and stress, right? His spirit empowers us then. And so we, as a spirit-empowered people, we get to recognize and confess our weakness. We get to admit it before the throne of God. The Bible doesn't say he takes jars of clay and makes them jars of steel so that we can handle it. It says he gives us power in jars of clay. It doesn't say that, uh, that uh, weak people are made strong on their own. That his power comes, makes you strong, and then leaves. It says that his power is made perfect in our weakness Which means we're going to stay weak. God made us jars of clay. He took a pile of dust and by his grace breathed life into it for a while. A mist that will disappear. That's who we are. And because we live a spirit-empowered life, we can boast all the more gladly that we are weak. Because he is strong. He strengthens us. So this is what I want to say. We should not be a people that perpetuate the divorce between word and spirit. Oh, would God never let us be a people that allow that to go on? We want to hold those together. We want to hold them tightly. And so I will end with this. Would you take the next step? I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know if it's like, Jason, you grew up in a spirit church, and you're saying, man, I know the power of the spirit, but I don't know his word. I've never read it, and I don't know what it says. Would you open your Bible and begin to read it and ask the spirit to open your heart to the depths of joy that you can mine there? Maybe you are like me, and you grew up knowing God's word, but never experiencing the power of his spirit. If that's you, would you take the next step? My journey started with a simple prayer. God, reveal yourself to me, because I need to know you're real, and he answered it, and I'm not, I've not arrived. I feel in large measure like I'm preaching something I barely know. Would you join me on this journey? so that we are a people marked by gospel-centered ministry and spirit-empowered lives. That's what we got.